there. You're listening to the Fort Salem Witching Hour podcast. This is a fan-run podcast all about the show Fort Salem. I've decided to just drop the Motherland thing per our last conversation, DJ. So I'm just going to refer to it as the show Fort Salem, airing now on Freeform and Hulu. Uh, and also BBC, if you live in the UK like I do, where it is just called Fort Salem. And I love it. Uh, with me, as always, is the uh, ever-excellent DJ who puts up with my shit. Hello, DJ. <laughs> Hello, Jesse, and thank you for putting up with my shit, honestly. It's a mutual shit-putting-upper society, it really, is. in this in this uh, fandom and with each other here on this podcast. So where I'm just incredibly grateful that people want to listen to us putting up with each other's shit all the time, every podcast episode. So thank you all for hanging in there and listening to our show. On today's episode, we are going to wrap up our our tour through the After the Storm series. So we're going to be going over episodes 9 and 10, aka the episodes where all, all of the stuff hits the fan and things kind of go bananas going into our final uh, battle of the season and sort of uh, you know laying all the groundwork to take us into season two. So lots to cover in these After the Storm, particularly the episode 10 one's pretty beefy. So we're going to get right into that, DJ. Absolutely. All right. So uh, the first thing we'll do is we'll go into episode nine. And Elliot talks, of course, about like the big news of the hour, which is of all the other things that happened in episode nine, the, the funeral, all these sorts of things. Obviously, Alder crossing that line, right, and puppeting the president has to be to me one of the I, I was legit shocked when I watched the episode for the first time, weren't you? I was my mouth was just complete. Well, my mouth was as open as basically Anacostia's was. Yes. And so that's a lot of discussion, uh, you know, around around that act on the after the storm. So I guess the first question, or the first point that he brings up that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, DJ, is in this episode we see the president threaten Alder. Right? I'm going to. She basically is like, I'm going to fire you and replace you, presumably with Petra. And then of course Alder inter, you know, intervenes via the puppeting mechanism and has the president sort of declare that she's not going to fire Alder. Now I think it's quite easy to read that as a power grab. But Elliot would like to suggest that it's not necessarily about grabbing power. It's really about telling Alder she can't have her way with the Tareem. And he sort of, you know, lays out this idea that, you know, it's not about, it's not a strategic move. It's not a power grab in Alder's part. It's Alder seeing a chance to connect with this part of her past that she thought was lost. And that that is one of the, the driving factors behind what she does, what she does. I thought that was an interesting suggestion, and I would like to hear from you, DJ. Do you buy it? Do you not? How do you feel about that motivation? I mean, it's kind of a half and half. I mean, we do definitely know that Alder has been existing in her own kind of views as alone for the past 300 years. She has all these other witches around her, but they're kind of a step below her. She definitely sees herself as being above others. I have no doubt, though, that it's still about accessing power, whether it's as a power grab to make sure she is always in place or just giving her more access to hopefully the Tareem being a little bit more, basically being indebted to her and actually teach her her songs or the, their songs that she wants and yearns to know. We, I mean, we do see a little bit of that emotion back in further episodes, but I, I'm still in the power grab because when we start seeing Anacostia trying to approach Alder about still seeing humanity and value in Scylla and being able to see her as a useful tool. And also when Anacostia wasn't involved in any of this process and just the surprise on that face, on her face when she actually sees Alder puppeting the president, it's still a power grab to me. Yeah. 
I mean, he, as we know, we established in multiple episodes of this podcast, there is not a bigger Sarah Alder apology than me. <laughs> Correct. And even I, although I think that's an interesting partial motivation, don't necessarily buy it. I think I'm aligned with you. I'm like, ah, it's a little bit about the power, Elliot. I mean, it seems pretty clear. I, I, I think Lynn sort of hints about that when she talks about it in the, the After the Storm, that, you know, Alder and we've talked about this, it's like, you know, after you live 300 years, you've outlived all of these other people, you have all of this power, right? Like, you have actual physical power within you, right? We can actually, see, you know, we see this in episode 10, like how powerful she still is as a, as a solo witch. And then she has the actual structural power, right, of status mm-hmm. and, and this bureaucratic system behind her. You know, you start to think you know better than everyone else, right? And we, we've seen this throughout this thing. It's not that it's about saving the terrain. I think that in many ways, Alder is arrogant enough to believe she's the only one who can save the terrain. And so she really isn't able to contemplate a world where she's not calling the shots and she's not wielding the power. Because I think she's, she's in this very dangerous spot as this character. And that's why I think I love her because she's so complex. It's so interesting. Cause I, you know, as much as I think that many of her motivations are pure in a way, right. Or, or come from good places. They're also, mm-hmm. and you know, you can't untangle how much holding power for that long has probably warped her ability to like have the right perspective or to like have any perspective, right? It's almost like sort of like Lord of the Rings and Gollum, right? It's sort of like she's, <laughs> she's literally held onto power so long that I think it is warping her ability to like connect with and have empathy for other people's points of view. Definitely agreed. The, and that kind of falls back to, I think, two episodes ago when we were talking about Alder and how she sort of views her position and views how her history has influenced her. She's put herself on a pedestal. She's the one who's mm-hmm. put herself above everyone else and knowing better and how no one else can do what she does. Yep. And it's funny because they use this language like, oh, you're all my daughters. And and I think we're meant to read it as the like, oh, we're family. I care about you. It's this uh, like, you know, sort of loving thing to say. On the other hand, it's awfully patronizing, right? It like is. when someone's like, call me daddy, you're like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's kind of what Alder's doing as the like, you know, it, she definitely does lean towards that. Like, I'm the mother. I'm in charge. I know better children, right? Like there's a little bit of condescension and in that viewpoint, right? It's a patronizing, like has like that root word and then patter, right? The, the, the head of the family. So I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, it's patronizing. Right, she is no, matronizing. matronizing. Oh, she's, yes, exactly. She's matronizing. <laughs> yes, we've got it. We've invented a new word. Sarah Alder is very matronizing to the people around her. Uh, so I think that I thought it was an interesting thing that like it was an insight that Elliot tried to give I'm like I don't know if I'm buying what you're saying there pal because like looking at the receipts of what's actually on the screen I'm you know not 100% on there Uh, although I do agree with Demetria who's like well obviously Alder is is not who she thought she was right and Alder has been telling her I'm your mother trust me all these things and Mm -hmm. and we start to see that breakdown for that character and and so uh i thought that was interesting i also did like the idea elliot sort of talked about the idea that the army is sick and crumbling from within and that's another theme i think if you look at the whole season right like think about it right the this black virus like these ideas of like running from within having these invaders inside of you sort of tearing you apart from the inside i feel like that's a that's a kind of a cool theme that i see see that throughout uh season one so i'm quite interested to see where he'll take that in season two 
when you think of it too, when you do have one pos- one person in this such a position of power, how much change are you actually able to really instigate or perpetuate? There's probably very little that's being done differently now than it was when Alder first started controlling her armies aside from changes in the actual United States government structure and technology changes. I mean, it's definitely a common theme in the real world, right? This Mm -hmm. idea that structural power is designed to perpetuate itself, right? Or Mm -hmm. that expression, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, right? Like this is the exact, like you can't fight, you cannot dismantle the system from within. And then, and you'll start to, you see Anacostia start to explore that, right? They talk about how for the first time Anacostia is like, well, maybe I'm going to go on my own here, right? Like I have, I'm like, and we see this like both in episode nine and 10, but it was cool to see Demetria talk about how intentional that was. The idea that Anacostia is starting to make these choices for herself. She's as much as she will still kind of believes in the system and is a straight arrow. She's kind of also now maybe getting a little bit more flexible. She's more about the military now than she is about older. Yes. And I do like that, the idea that she's kind of looking at that greater good, right? Like, you know, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then it also kind of seeds into like, why does she do what, you know, why does she do what she does with Scylla, right? Both in this episode Mm -hmm. and then obviously, you know, her actions in episode 10. And while, you know, again, it's that the complexity of these characters, it's, it's, yes, of course, there's a part of Anacostia that's soft hearted and doesn't want to give up on Scylla as a person, right? Like that's there. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, or just as importantly, you know, she's like, she's mad at Alder about missing out on this strategic opportunity, right? And and that, you know, we talked about Alder acting like she knows better. And then mm-hmm. that's the dialogue they have at the dinner table, right? Alder, like, talking down to her to be like, I've seen this too many times. Like, don't bother. Like, don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. And Anacostia trying to be like, well, I disagree. I think that there's a strategic thing to be done here. And, of course, that's where she goes in episode 10. So I really liked that about this after the storm. But let's really, I, I'd like to spend some more time talking. I mean, episode 10, the after the story is pretty beefy. It was eight, over eight minutes long. So I'm kind of curious, you know, he, he dropped a lot of knowledge on us around the Camarilla, right? Including the fact that I didn't realize this because obviously it's all off screen. We talked about how they were funded and created by Henry VIII and Philip II. Uh, and so I was wondering like what you thought about that, like that they are not just some random witch hunters, but that they've always been state sponsored from the beginning. I thought that really caught me off guard. Well, it's kind of interesting too, when you start looking at how far, how much further back then that the Camarilla could have been running. And it also pulls, cause at least from my knowledge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the Inquisition primarily took place in Spain, if I remember correct, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, yes, it happened everywhere, but particularly gruesome in Spain. <laughs> so with, with Henry VIII, I mean, it bringing, or it beginning all the way back, essentially, in the very early 1500s, if you think about when Henry VIII took power, and honestly, how the type of ruler that he was in general, and then leading into Philip II in Spain, Henry VIII tried changing religion to suit his purposes in the first place. He won it. He went through, let's see, was it seven wives? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So he tried changing religion to suit his purposes. So something about the witches made him want to suit his purposes for that. Or maybe that was the trade off. Maybe in order to get or be granted the divorces that he needed, the church required him to fund the witch hunts. I mean, I think that's an interesting theme there. And and it's about, I love that you touched on that because I hadn't considered that. Because I think when you look at what, 
you know, these characters are talking about like why they're angry at Sarah Alder, why the Tareem don't want to give up their songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that people are corrupting these systems, right? Like to your point, like Henry tried to, he's like basically corrupted the church to suit his own needs. Philip corrupted the church and used it in ways that were really like, if you read the book at all, not exactly aligned with the tenets of, of that book. And so, and even like when they talk about how, you know, they've corrupted witch magic by taking the vocal cords out and using them in the way to create this magic that's unholy, right? The, the, the taking something that's, that's sacrosanct and, and defiling it, I think is like mm-hmm. a common theme sort of throughout what each of these characters sort of sort of see here. And then they talk about these, like they have these pure ideals they see sort of like slowly corrupted before their eyes. And it kind of, we, again, we just talked about when we were breaking down episode nine and then the earlier episodes, this idea of rot from within, right? And these, these institutions crumbling from within because these people in power come in and, and pervert the intention of those institutions, I think is like a really cool idea that I hadn't considered until I, I, heard you, I heard you talk about that. So I thought that was kind of cool. The other thing that obviously happens is each of our characters end up in a, this is the culmination of phase one of their journey, right? <laughs> they end up in very different places at the end of the season than where they began. And so, you know, I, you know, they talk about Abigail's growth as a leader. And, and again, we talked about that during our main breakdown of the show, how, how proud we are of, of Abigail's growth and emerging as a new leader and how important it was her, like she and, and Ashley sort of talk, talked about that. She goes, you know what? Abigail's journey is really learning to care about other people, not just yourself. And then that's why she's a different leader. So I really like that and, and, and that part of Abigail's journey. And definitely when you can compare season 10 to season one and you recognize exactly how haughty she was and how much she believed in the bellwether way and how right it was. This is Abigail definitely coming into her own as a leader, caring about her sisters more than herself, caring about her sisters more than her mother or the bellwethers in general, because I doubt she, well, aside from Petra being excited that, you know, Abigail's alive when she comes home, she was probably not going to be that excited about Abigail um, abandoning war college for what Petra would see as, like, lower individuals. So it's going to see how that journey, it's going to be good to see how, honestly, all of their journeys actually continue next season. Yeah, absolutely. And then for Rael, I think the interesting part of her journey is they talk about how, you know, she's, like, wanting to honor her mother or avenge her on some level. And I, I again, I, it's something I hadn't really considered until I watched this after the storm, but I think that really is, like, Abigail, or Rael trying to figure out, like, different ways to honor those around her. Right, because mm-hmm. she's actually we talk about this, she's quite selfish throughout the scene. If you watch, it's all about she like is. what Rael wants, and and she thinks about herself first in many ways, or she thinks about those around her in this very specific kind of way. And her learning how, like, there's other ways to honor your mother other than getting yourself just killed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 honoring your friendships other than you know, like either being all in and over trusting, like with her relationship with Scylla, versus you know, completely standoffish with her sisters. So. Uh, I think that that was really interesting. And then to me, the most interesting journey is the tally one. And, you know, obviously with her gifts as a knower, I love, I I thought that uh, Jess did a great job framing this. She talks about seeing things as they are instead of how she wishes they could be. And this idea that like, it's like learning to be a seer is something that's like happening on like at a, a deeper level than just the surface, right? It's not just as you can look around corners or look into trucks. But again, that idea that she's a truth seeker now and that she has to stare at it no matter how hard it is or how much it conflicts with what she wishes it weren't. 
Mm-hmm. And um, also about how she can't unsee them. Like yes. she, she won't be able to just sweep these things under the rugs. And I think that's probably why City Drop affected her so much and propelled her confrontation with Alter. But then kind of being confronted with those and kind of seeing how maybe earnest Alder was talking about her past and talking about what she needed to do. Maybe Tally was able to actually see the truth in her words as well. And that led to her being able to make the sacrifice to be bitified. Yeah, totally agree. And I, I, to me, that line really jumped out. You can't unsee what you've already seen. This idea Mm -hmm. that like being a truth seeker is a double-edged sword, right? Like it's that classic, like be careful what you wish for, right? Because Mm -hmm. you might find it. (laughs) Uh, and so I think seeing how Tally like evolves next season, I think just as of all the three, I mean, I think all three of them did great, but I, I feel like season two might be the season of Tally, might be the season of Jess, because I think I think where that character could go and that journey is like so interesting to me when you have that concept of like, what does it mean to actually know stuff and not be able to turn away from the truth, like, and to have to confront that um, and, and how that plays into things. Kind of you talking about that, actually, because we had... You had mentioned last episode about how Abigail and Rael basically had kind of taken the pedestal as maybe the two more important characters, or at least maybe the most forthright characters. Mm-hmm. Um, early in this episode of the After the Storm, uh, it, it very briefly touches on the actual introduction of Rael's mother. And how surprising it was how the cast was entirely surprised. And he made a point of saying that Scylla's interaction with Rael's mom are going to be a very big chunk at the top of the season. Yep. That we're going to see a lot of it very early on. So that kind of lends well to Tally taking a little bit more center stage because maybe her and Scylla are essentially going to be the two counterpoints for that because Scylla has a very in-depth knowledge of the spree, obviously, and I'm going to love seeing her explore that, whereas Tally is going to be getting a very up-close and intimate view of why Alder is the way that she is. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be really interesting. And actually, I'm actually quite curious how that will impact her relationship with Garrett, because Mm. Tally's very different than the girl he fell in love with at this point, right? She is... I mean, she's the opposite of where they started. And I think part of what attracted him to her was her naivete or her like purity. And that's not who she, yeah, her innocence. And now she's like mm-hmm. literally linked to a woman who's had probably hundreds of partners over the years in terms of sex and power and, and has <laughs> this particular worldview and how that'll change Tally. So I'm, I'm super fascinated by that. And they even talked about how at the end, like that dramatic ending that when Tally's going to get out of the helicopter, it's this moment where she has to realize that that's not her unit anymore, which by the way, that broke my heart when I heard that, but that she can no longer follow where they need to go. Right. And that she is going to have her own journey separate from the other two, which mm-hmm. is something I never contemplated at the beginning of the season. What blew my mind is that apparently they knew from the pilot episode, just got the heads up from Elliot that Tally would be a biddy by the end of the season. Did that surprise you? <laughs> yes. Because basically that means that that, I'm trying, it would have been probably the most helpful piece to know for Jessica as an actress because it kind of lends you to like how how would she have portrayed Tally differently if she didn't know? Right. Or if she would have, like. 
I feel like we should put that in the notes. I, I still hold out hope that we're going to get to interview the rest of the cast at some point as we go into season two and and uh, and do more You're things like that. I hope so. Um, but I definitely think that's something to ask just if if we get a chance, whether it's here or some other uh, medium, is really yeah. How does that knowledge like fundamentally change how you look at your character, right? Because a lot of this is sort of and Emily talked about this really eloquently when we were you know having that amazing interview with her how you know when you do a stage play you know where your character's going but when you do tv right you don't know necessarily where your character goes so there's a little bit of mm-hmm. sort of surprise so i can imagine you know it's just sort of reading these scripts and she's kind of going especially when it gets you know those scales start to come off her eyes and she starts to see alder as a bad guy i imagine in her brain she's probably like how the hell do i go from here to wanting to sacrifice myself to be a biddy like <laughs> Like how 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 is that gonna happen? <laughs> right? yeah. uh, even at the top of the episode, you're like, I don't know how that's gonna. I, of course, by you know, I I feel pleased that I we you know we picked up on the cave dialogue. I feel like that's something I foot stomped a lot when we broke down that episode. How important that moment was to resetting her relationship with Alder. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, they talked a little bit about that in the after the storm. So uh, yeah, lots and lots of good stuff in this after the storm. Did I miss anything that we wanted to sort of touch on? The mycelium. Ah. And this was the point basically where he had confirmed about the contact between it and Rael. Mm-hmm. And this is honestly, it's going to sound weird. This is one of the most interesting relationships because we know that the mycelium is, is sentient. It's potentially absorbed dozens of lives before in the past, but it almost seems like this one is a little bit different because they did have a DNA exchange. So she has a little bit of the mycelium in her, and the mycelium has a little bit of Rael in it. So when we start learning a little bit more about how this living organism affects Fort Salem, which I imagine it does, I mean, it absorbed Kalita's curse through the ground. There's no other way that I can think of it to be connected. Will that affect sort of the control balance that Alder has yep. over the land? That's, that's going to be a really interesting relationship. Yeah, I, I, I'm super psyched to learn more about mycelium next season for sure. I, I, that's a really interesting point. I'm like, oh, what if like, Alda's got 99 problems and now she's got a sentient <laughs> mushroom to deal with as well. <laughs> like, really? A rebelling, a rebelling sentient mushroom that has a 19-year-old brain in her. Yeah, a horny 19-year-old brain. An yeah, <laughs> angry, horny 19-year-old brain. It's like, it's like my nightmare. It's like my nightmare scenario right there. <laughs> So fertile uh. all over the place. Uh, anyway, so we, I really enjoyed breaking down these ads of the storms. I feel like it's definitely worth highly recommend just like toss up, toss YouTube on your app and just have it in the background when you're driving around or, or, or working. I think there's lots of great nuggets here. I hope you all enjoyed our breakdowns of these. Uh, so we've kind of come to the end of breaking down the after the storms and we are officially out of canon for you all uh, to talk about. Uh, but DJ, uh, I know you're, you're, you're percolating some ideas. So, you know, can you give our fans a little bit of a taste of some of the possible next episodes they might be hearing from us? So a little that I am hoping I'll be able to get off the ground is we obviously know that there are a lot of underlying themes that Elliot has used in order to feed this ever growing world that he has created. We know, Quite a few of them are obviously entrenched in pagan mythological histories or sources. I mean, you don't exactly just come out with the name Scylla out of nowhere. It, it just doesn't happen. We obviously have all of the religious 
themes between the Christo pagan and sort of that influence with the church in the show itself and sort of also the sort of biological themes as well from the show. So what I am hoping to be able to do is pull in some of the, I would maybe call them theme experts. You could say ones that have spent a lot of time and a lot of thought and even a lot of research or have been pulling from their own experience on these different themes and how they have maybe changed throughout the seasons or through the episodes, I rather should say, and just sort of what about them, what about these themes made them be able to point them out? Um, Maybe a couple other things. We have gotten some feedback that maybe doing some other LGBT associated media, uh, maybe sort of reviews or small synopsis would possibly be appealing as well for some of the crowds. So hopefully going to be able to get some work together for that and still keep everything going and rolling. Yep. So, I mean, we'll, we'll be here through the bitter end with you all like waiting for season two as, as news comes out, we'll tweet about it. We'll talk about it on this podcast. Really appreciate y'all hanging in there with us. Hope you enjoy these after the storms. If you like those ideas DJ talked about, you can give us some feedback. You can find us on social media at FS switching hour. Uh, If you look at the show notes here at the podcast, we also have links to both our official show handle as well as our individual Twitter accounts. Our DMS are open. Uh, If you have something to say, you want to come on the show and say it or, or, or have a question you want us to read that'd be great if you like the idea of us talking on other lgbtq stuff like for a while i feel like my timeline wouldn't shut up about warrior nun so if, i guess if you want us to talk <laughs> about warrior nun or xena or other, i think we've had some requests uh for us to talk about xena and some other classics mm-hmm. um let us know if there's something you're like i would love to hear you talk about x y and z and we will do that because we want to make sure obviously we are living in extraordinary times uh and i know a lot of us are sitting around at home and and you know, are, are looking for places to maybe escape the sort of humdrum quarantine life we're all living. So uh, we are here to serve you all, faithful listeners. So please give us some feedback. As usual, leave us ratings and reviews, but more importantly, just DM us and say hello. Let us know how we can help brighten your day a little bit because talking to you all has always been uh, a bright spot of my day. And I know it is for you too as well, DJ. Complete agreement. Okay, great. So again, this has been another episode of the Fort Salem Witching Hour podcast. Hit us up on social media, uh, drop into our DMs and say hello. And uh, thank you. But we are out for this week. You all have a terrific witching day.